0: There are certain figures in history whose character and actions make a deep impression on the people and the nations that follow them. George Washington, of course, is one for our nation, arguably the preeminent founding father of the United States of America. He profoundly shaped uh, much of our nation's character but also shaped in particular our vision of what a president should be. Since he was the first one, he had a lot of opportunity to shape what the office of president would look like. And after serving two terms as president, he refused to run again, even though at the time there was no limit on the number of terms a president could serve. And his example is evident in that after Washington, nobody served more than two terms as president except FDR. And then after FDR, we voted to say, you can't do that anymore, you can't serve more than two terms, and now it's part of the Constitution. But up until then, it was just the sheer weight of Washington's example that convinced people that was the way to do it, that nobody should be president for too long. And Washington, in setting that example, he was influenced and shaped by another significant figure from earlier in history, a Roman uh, leader named Cincinnatus, who was given power to uh, lead the Romans when they were at a time of crisis and need. There were enemies attacking them. And he was given incredible power to help rescue Rome from her enemies. And he did. He succeeded. And in the wake of that success, he could have capitalized on his power and fame and influence. But instead, he relinquished his power, went home to his farm, and minded his own business. Does that sound familiar? That's what George Washington did, right? And if you wonder if there's a direct connection between those two, uh, George Washington was a member of a group called the Society of the Cincinnati, right? Men from the revolutionary era who were attempting to embody those values uh, that were put in place or, or modeled by this man, Cincinnatus, from all the way back in Rome. And then Washington extending that example by his own actions. Now, for the Jewish people, the preeminent founding father, so to speak, the, the forefather of the Jews who shaped uh, the Jewish people more profoundly perhaps than anybody else was, of course, Abraham. Abraham was the first of the Jews, he was the man that God called from Ur of the Chaldees and told him to leave his land and his kindred and go to a place that God would show him, and that from him God promised to uh, produce numerous offspring, he promised to give them a specific land, the land of Canaan, where they would live, and we were reading about that some in Genesis 15 this morning. The reason why I start this way and bring up Abraham is is this. We've been studying through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings, and this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, so if you're not already there, I encourage you to open your Bible if you have one to Romans chapter 4, and what Paul has been doing is he has been arguing that the only way to be right with God for both Jews and Gentiles is for us to confess our sin, turn from our sin, and trust in Jesus, God's own Son, who died on the cross to bear God's wrath against our sin in our place. And if we will trust in Jesus, Paul says, then we will be counted righteous before God. Our sins will be wiped out and we'll be declared righteous by God and be righteous in His sight by grace through faith in Christ. Now, if he's going to convince the Jews in his audience in particular, there's nothing better he can do than point back to Abraham and say, what I'm telling you about what God has provided for us in Christ, this is the same way that God was working in the life of Abraham. If he can prove that from the Scriptures... He will go a long way to making his case for the Jews and for the rest of us that the gospel he's preaching is not something new that he created, some great idea that he came up with, but it is the fulfillment of God's long existing plan from all the way back even before Abraham that God has put in place that has now come to fulfillment uh, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul said back in chapter 3 verse 21 that the righteousness he was speaking of, the righteousness that God gives us when we trust Christ, That that righteousness is apart from the law and the prophets. I mean, apart from the law. It's not something you earn by keeping the law. But the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets testify about this righteousness from God. And so now he's going to try to prove that from the story of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. So let me read for us just the first five verses of Romans 4. That's where we'll be focusing our attention this morning. Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we know now why Paul begins chapter 4, although this was just one continuous letter when he wrote it right he didn't put that big four in there he's still continuing the same thought but we know why Paul is bringing up Abraham here we know he's bringing up Abraham because in the back of the minds of all the Jews and probably some of the Gentiles they're thinking what about Abraham though is this what you're telling us about how God saves now is this consistent with what God did for Abraham that's the question And Paul has just said toward the end of chapter 3, if this is the way salvation works, right? Verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If that's the case, he'd said in verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? What grounds do we have for pride? None. It is excluded. There's no ground for boasting. Because we're saved by faith. If you were saved by works, you'd have reason to boast, but you're saved by faith, which means you don't have reason to boast. So then he says, what about Abraham? Abraham was our forefather according to the flesh, and there, flesh is not used in the negative sense like Paul sometimes uses it, the spirit versus the flesh. This just means according to natural descent, right? Abraham is our physical forefather, right? What about him? What did he find? What reward did he gain? Was Does he have reason to boast? Did, did, did God treat him di- differently than he treated us? And if we were supposed to follow his example, what kind of example did he leave? So Paul says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So if Abraham was right with God because he was obedient, because he was faithful, because he kept the law, because he did all those kinds of things, then Abraham would have reason to boast. And if Abraham is our forefather, and he was justified by works, and he has reason to boast, then shouldn't we all be aiming to imitate his example? And if that's the case, then Paul, everything you've been saying, just, we're just going to throw it out the window. So what about Abraham? Was he justified by works? Well, many of the Jews seemed to think that he was. And we have evidence of this from uh, Jewish writings that are not part of the scriptures, things that were written mostly like between the Old and New Testament, um, that give us insight into how Jews of Paul's day would have uh, thought about Abraham and how God worked in the life of Abraham. Here's what one writing says. This is from 1 Maccabees. It's not a biblical book, but it's a a helpful book for understanding Jewish history. In 1 Maccabees 2.52, they say, Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? So that sounds a little bit like Genesis 15, 6, right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But they've left out the believed God part and added he was faithful when he was tested and that's why he was counted righteous. Paul is is, he knows people that he's, trying to convince of the gospel. He knows that some of them have this in the back of their minds. They're thinking, but Abraham was righteous because he did good deeds. And so shouldn't we do good deeds in order to be righteous? And Paul is saying that doesn't work for us, and it didn't work for Abraham. But many thought that that's how it happened, right? Uh, Another book that, uh, that scholars point to, a book called Jubilees, Uh, Says Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Now, if you've read the story of Abraham recently, you know that's not true, right? Well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life except for those times when he lied about his wife being his sister in order to save his own skin, right? And that probably wasn't the only thing Abraham ever did wrong. Another book says the God of the just has not appointed repentance to the just, to the righteous. Who are, who's that? To Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which have not sinned against God. So that's how some of the Jewish people of Paul's days thought about Abraham. Abraham. They had done what some people have done with George Washington. They put them up on a platform and said, here are the saints who have never sinned. They did everything right. They deserve nothing but reverence and awe. They go beyond respect to almost deification, right? They're almost become little gods. And uh, they, by doing that, they distort the truth, and they had distorted the truth about Abraham. What they were saying about Abraham is not what the Bible says about Abraham. Was Abraham faithful and godly? Yes, later. But that's not why he was counted righteous, as we'll see in a moment. So Paul is pushing up against this idea that Abraham was righteous before God because of his works. And if that was true of Abraham, many others would think that ought to be true of me as well. And there's a a warning here for us, right, in the way that Abraham was misunderstood and misappropriated and misinterpreted. It's easy for us to do the same thing with other Bible characters, and not just Bible characters, but with real people. Maybe church members from a previous generation or someone in your family. It is easy to say... You know, these people, we know they're in heaven because man, they were just such good folks. Never heard a crossword from them. That's why I know they're in glory. Well, that might be true that they, you never heard a crossword from them, and that's good, but if they were that godly, why were they that godly? Just because they were that's who they were? By nature? By themselves? No, because God had saved them and change them. Instead, you say they were a saint, they were godly, they were faithful because God got a hold of them and changed their life. There was a time when they weren't that way. But then God saved them and changed them and that's why I know that they're with the Lord now. Right? It's, a, it's a subtle distinction, but it's an important one. Why was Abraham faithful when God tested him and asked him to offer up his son Isaac on the altar? Because Abraham was just a great guy and he always did everything right? No, because God had changed him, God had saved him, God had already enabled Abraham to trust him in smaller things earlier so that when the big test came, he was already right with God, he was already trusting God. That obedience was just the fruit of that earlier faith and grace that was at work in his life so paul knows that there needs to be some reworking of people's understanding of abraham's story and so that's why he says if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but then he says but not before god what does that mean does that just mean that if abraham was justified by works he could boast before men but not before god of how it sounds at first, but I think Paul is saying something more, something that um, the New Living Translation happens to capture pretty well. It's sort of a paraphrase translation, but I think it brings out uh, the tr- what Paul is, is trying to say here. He says, Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted Abraham? If so, he would have something to boast about. But from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. I think that's what he means by this phrase, but not before God. He didn't have reason to boast before God. He did not have reason to be proud before God. Why? Verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? So here Paul brings in his prime witness. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks Here's where we get the truth about Abraham. Here's what the Bible says. And he quotes Genesis 15, verse 6, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, why was Abraham counted righteous? Because he was faithful? No. Because he obeyed? No. Because he kept the law? No. Because he believed God. In fact, if you go back and read the story of Abraham, up to the point where this happens, Abraham's not really done anything great. His great deeds come later. But so far in the story of Abraham, by the time this happens, by the time we get to Genesis 15, Abraham's not done a whole lot, except trust God. God said, leave your homeland, leave your family, and come to the land that I'll show you. Abraham trusted God, so he left. Went down to Egypt, you know, got into trouble with his wife there, all those kind of things. You get to Genesis chapter 15, what's happening? Abraham has been promised a multitude of offspring, numerous children. But his wife is barren, he's getting up in years, and God says to Abraham, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, you know, God, I'm having a hard time believing that right now. Because I don't even have one kid. What can you possibly give me that will matter? Because when I die, my heir is somebody who's not even my own kin. He's just a member of my household. This guy, Eliezer of Damascus. What are you going to give me that's going to be such a great blessing? Right, so Abraham's struggling a little bit in Genesis 15. And so God tells him to look up at the stars of the heaven and says, number those stars if you can, and I'm telling you, your offspring are going to be as numerous as those stars in the sky. That's a lot of stars, right? Especially if you live living out where Abraham did, where there's no light hardly at all, and you can see all the stars. And when God reaffirms that promise to Abraham, the next thing it says is that Abraham believed God. He believed that audacious promise. And because he believed that promise, God counted that to him as righteousness. It's not because of anything he did. It's just because he trusted God. And that is what Paul has been telling us is true of us even now. You can't do enough good things to be right with God. You are, we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says. And everyone who's going to be justified, this is Romans 3.24, everyone who's going to be justified, be counted righteous before God, is justified by grace as a gift. And Who gets the gift? Those who receive Jesus by faith, whom God put forward as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation to bear our sins on the cross in our place. So what Paul is saying is that Abraham was counted righteous the same way that you and I are. Abraham was saved the same way that you and I are. Oftentimes people think, well, in the Old Testament people were saved by works, but whew, so glad that in the New Testament we're saved by grace through faith. Yes, so glad we're saved by grace through faith now, but that's the same way people were saved in the Old Testament. You say, well, how is that possible? Because Jesus hadn't come yet in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people were saved by faith in the promises God made about the coming of Jesus in the future, Now we are saved by faith in what God has done in the past through Jesus. We're both looking to Jesus just from different directions. Abraham was trusting the promises that God was making about his offspring, which would ultimately lead to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would die and rise and ascend to heaven and be seated at God's right hand as he is even now. Abraham was looking forward to that day, looking forward to those, the fulfillment of those promises. We look back to the fulfillment of those promises, but we're both looking to Jesus. We're both trusting the promises of God. We're both saved by grace and through faith. Old Testament or new, it's the same for us all. Now, how does this work? How did it work for Abraham and how does it work for us? That's what verses 4 and 5 are about. Right? He says, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, if you go to work, and you work a week, two weeks, and at the end, your boss hands you a paycheck, you don't go home and write him a thank you note. Because right? it's not a gift. You earned that. right? He owes it to you. If somebody works... What he receives for his work is a wage, not a gift. Right? It's a debt, it's not grace. But, he says in verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So when Abraham didn't work, didn't do any work to earn God's favor, but he trusted God, that was counted for righteousness, which is grace, which is a gift. Abraham did owe thanks to God because he hadn't done anything to earn that righteousness except receive it by trusting God. And that's the way that Paul is saying it works for us as well. If we're justified by grace, if we're counted righteous when we believe, that has to be a gift. Because we haven't earned it. We haven't done anything to deserve it. In fact, we definitely don't deserve it, and neither did Abraham. Notice what it says in verse 5. When Abraham believed, and when we believe, who are we believing in? We believe in him who justifies the ungodly. We believe in the one who says to people who are sinners, who are unrighteous, who are imperfect as all of us are, and as all the saints of the Old and New Testament are, everybody except for Jesus, right? God says to us, you are righteous in my sight, even though in yourself you are unrighteous. I say that you are righteous because my son, Jesus, is righteous, and he has paid the price so that you can be righteous, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be redeemed and restored and brought back into fellowship with me. That's the way that God works. That's the way that the gospel works. That's the way that salvation works. It is for the ungodly, for the sinful, for the broken, for the messed up, who trust in God to forgive them despite their sin, to count them righteous despite their ungodliness. And that's what God did for Abraham, and that's what God does for you and for me. That is the heart of the gospel. And what Paul is trying to help us to see is that this is not anything new. The only thing that's new about it is that Jesus has brought This to fulfillment by his death and resurrection. But this is what they've been looking forward to from the beginning. So, should we attempt to imitate Abraham's obedience? Yeah, absolutely. Should we seek to be faithful as Abraham was? Should we seek to obey God as Abraham did? Yeah. But first, we must imitate his faith. We have to start where He started. You've got to read the story in order. You can't try to start with the obedience part and hope that if you're obedient like Abraham, that God will save you like He saved Abraham. Because that's not why God saved Abraham. God saved Abraham at the beginning when all He had done was trust the Lord. And once he learned to trust him that faith bore fruit in faithfulness and that's how it's meant to work for us as well but sometimes we get it we try to get it out of order we try to be faithful before we've come to faith but if you start with faith then god says because you have trusted me because you have trusted my son you are righteous in my sight you are forgiven you are holy, you are clean, you are blameless, you are mine. And then, once you know you're loved, once you know you're His, once you know you're saved, once you know you're safe and secure, then you are able to walk in faithfulness. Then you are able to live out that faith in good works and good deeds, which you don't do to try to earn your salvation, but that you do just because you have been made new, because God has changed you, because God has saved you, because God has filled you with His Spirit. So if we want examples of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, somebody who is saved by grace through faith, We've got the whole Old New Testament, of course, but we've also got the Old Testament too. And go all the way back to Abraham and see how God has been working the same way from the beginning, saving His people by grace through faith in Christ. Let's pray.